Wow, great. It's summer and uh, road closures all over the place. And not only do we have construction out on the highway, we have, we have running, running week and racers. And today I'm going to talk to you athletic types today. Hopefully uh, you'll uh, get some, some meaning out of today. Um, the title of the message this morning is Running the Race of Faith. And it's from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're only going to look at two verses, and it took me two weeks to do two verses. Wow, I tell you, what would have happened if I had like four or five? I'd be, I'd be a month preparing a message. But anyhow, um, it's on page 1008 of the Pew Bible, if you want to turn to that first. Before we, before we begin, I'd like to pray for us as we look into um, a small passage of God's Word. Let's pray. Gracious fathers, we come to you, Lord. We want to give you thanks for Jesus and for all that he has done and all that he has provided for us in order for us to be able to run the race of faith. I pray this morning as we look into this word that some truths will come out that will impact our lives, that we'd be challenged again once more to to take up the, the hard work of agonizing in the race that is set before us. So, Father, I just pray for myself as I share these thoughts to our congregation this morning that the blessing of Jesus will rest upon us all and that the Holy Spirit will come and minister to our minds. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've been thinking about this matter of running the race of faith, and you, you kind of have to ask your, you know, we're being told that we're to agonize, we're supposed to struggle in our fate, we're supposed to struggle in the pursuit of God. It's everywhere in the Bible. Like Paul said, I press on for the prize. There's this, there's this agonizing aspect of what faith is. Faith is not a casual walk in the park. It's faith, walking the, the walk of faith is, is a running pursuit and a hard going after God. And that's really what real Christian faith is all about. It's not just something you kind of add to your life. It's not a casual walk, but it's a, it's a hard, hard walk. And I've been asking, wondering about this question, then why, why are we supposed to go hard after God? Why is it that, that we're supposed to go hard after God? And I want to just give you a few reasons why, why it's important for you and I to, to commit ourselves to running the race of faith. Not walking the, the race of faith, but running just a couple of them here just to share with you. You know, there's evil forces all around us, and they're at work in the world. And there's a, a real urgency that you run the race of faith. Also, time is short. We're living in times where you, the race of faith may be over. You may be done the end of this day. This might be your last day. So time on earth is short. Suffering for your faith is what benefits you in sharing in God's holiness. That's, that's something that everywhere in the Bible speaks about, is this matter of, of sharing in God's holiness. And it comes through the pursuit and the agony of pursuing faith. You don't get, you, you have to work hard at getting what you're going to get. You can't just sit back and do nothing in order to receive a reward. Since Jesus, the captain of our faith, has suffered, which it, which is, it is our also calling to suffer in the like manner. So to follow him, if he is our Lord, we have to follow him in the, in the like manner uh, as Jesus. And finally, we run the race of faith because simply we love Jesus. You should run the race of faith because you love God. That, there should be no, there's no other reason, really, that, 
that's any better than that, than because you love and you want to honor him with your life. Um, let's just look at the text here, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this is referring back to Hebrews 11, where um, we think Paul the Apostle was likely the writer of the book of Hebrews, um, lists a whole bunch of people in the Old Testament who lived by faith. And so he's, he kind of builds this argument that uh, there's all these witnesses and people who have gone before us who have lived a life of faith and found that it is powerful. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses from Abraham, Abel, Enoch, all of the... There's a whole list of them back in chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this morning I want to unpack this somewhat so you can kind of get a better look at this at these two verses. But just the first question I want to ask you. How do you prepare for any athletic competition? What do you have to do? Who are our runners in this church? Who runs? Who's, there's someone there runs a marathon. There's some people who prepare for a marathon. What are some of the things you got to do? You got to daily discipline your training. You know, when you decide that you're going to run a race, it's focused, right? It's intent. It's intentional. It's not like okay, let's go for a casual walk. No, no, it's not like that. You have in your mind a goal, and you're seeking to achieve it. And so what you have to do is daily discipline training. You have to have a desire to win. I mean, like who enters a race to come in second place? Nobody does that. Everybody, anybody who enters a race wants to win the race. So you have to have that desire to win. Also, training has to take precedence over everything else in your life. Um, prioritizing your time and energy to the matter of training, focusing your mind singly upon the goal, and finally removing any hindrances that would keep you from running effectively. I mean, we, runners don't wear parkas when they get on. You, know, in, you see them stripping off their off their uh, off their, their their pants or whatever. You know, their their training pants, or and they wear extra light shoes. I mean, the shoes today are so light now. Like the Nike shoes that you can get are so light. They, they, you have to be just as light as possible. I think in ancient times, they stripped all their clothing off in order to run races. So really removing all hindrances from running effectively. Now, just to use that kind of analogy in terms of running the race of faith, we have to be committed to diligently seek God. That's the one thing that prepares us for the race of faith. We have to be disciplined to have a heart for godliness. We have to... And we, all, we have to desire to succeed, right? We want to succeed in every spiritual endeavor that, that is um, before us. We need to be committed to please God in all things. And also, we need to push aside anything that gets in the way of your devotion to God. So these are just some things about, what it, just some comparison about running the race of faith. So my first point here is that we need to have absolute confidence in running the race of faith 
The race of faith has been ran by a large crowd of witnesses who have tested and confirmed his power. I already mentioned that this is having to do with uh, reflecting back on Hebrews chapter 11. And so there's this large crowd. And I want, we, we're going to look at the text and we're going to kind of unpack it here so that you can kind of see what it's saying. As we said, chapter 12 continues a dialogue of chapter 11, which the writer of Hebrews lists all of the main characters in the Old Testament who lived and died by faith. And, and I want you to take a minute just to define what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is the supernatural gift from God to help believers obey God's will. It is a supernatural gift. It's not just deciding one day that you're going to believe in God. God has to be in you to for biblical faith to be active. It's a very real, supernatural thing that's, um, that's in you. It's the Holy Spirit moving you. Um, just a couple of quotes from some passages. Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's something that, how can you have assurance of something that you just kind of dream up? What's it speaking of is, is that we believe in God. We've trusted in God, and God has to be in it. Faith requires it to be from God. Titus 3, 5 to 7 says that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And what that's saying is that God is the one who needs to wash you with faith. He needs to give it to you as faith, as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is another one that says, for we've been saved by faith. We've been, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So faith, when you look back in chapter 11, which we're really not supposed to be preaching on chapter 11, but I'm just taking this little uh, detour just slightly because it, it speaks of faith and how all these individuals powerfully did things in the, um, by faith. And it was because not because they kind of dreamt it up. I've been thinking about um, there's this... Uh, movie called The Secret, and I don't know if you've come across it, and it talks about how just believing um, in the powers of the universe, you can imagine your your way to getting things. So they give an example of a little boy who wants to wants a little bicycle, and, he, and what he has to do is he has to imagine it and imagine it and imagine it, and by doing that, he can control the powers of the universe so that all of a sudden somebody drops off a bicycle at his, at his front door. That's not what faith is. It's not imagining or trying to generate within your own self something um, to create something. Faith comes from God pushing you in a direction. And that's the assurance that you have. So it starts with God, and it has to be in God. So if you say that you have faith, and if God is not in your life, it doesn't matter how much you can, can dream up faith or your faith. It doesn't happen that way. God must instruct you. And where do you get faith? Faith comes from hearing from the Word of God. So the Bible is what instructs us in faith, and if we obey it, we're going to be able to do great things for God. So just that little segue or that little uh, detour just with regards to the matter of faith. So we need to have that kind of in our minds as we think about faith. So, okay, now I'm going to get to the text here. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, that Greek word is in the present active tense, and it implies that these witnesses that are in chapter 11 and all the millions of people 
who have come in the past are at this very moment watching and cheering us on to compete in the race of faith. It's, it's kind of an interesting thought to think that, that, that all of these people are, are in heaven cheering us on. They're like spectators. They're like they're witnesses. They're the ones who um, are cheering us on. And it's such a great cloud of witnesses. This is, this, the chapter 11 is just a sample of all of those who are testifying to the power of faith. There have been millions and millions of people who have gone before us, who have lived and testified to the power of faith, and they're saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can, you can live by the power of faith if you're just willing to take it up. Um, if the conf- and also, um, there's another little thing that I uh, wanted to point out about this, is that in the Old Testament, when it comes to witnesses, um, to confirm the truth of anything only required two or three witnesses. We see that in Deuteronomy 17.6, that on the evidence of two witnesses or of three, um, any truth is testified and confirmed. And if, there are only, if, if the law only requires one or two witnesses to testify to the power or the, the truthfulness of something, then what would a million or a couple of million or generations of people who have testified to the power of faith would do? It's powerful. And so faith is powerful if you are given to it. The sheer number of witnesses that have testified to the cert- certainty of the power of faith should give us hope. So, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, he says we need to do something. And the, 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 what we need to do is we need to lighten our load. And the next part of the verse says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Um, the one who has ever done any athletic competitions knows that you must lighten your load as much as possible. In the race of faith, it requires you to recognize that life consists of many things that can weigh and slow you down. And so, and what it's telling us is that we're to, that competing in the race of faith requires the discipline of radically removing any obstacle that would hinder the goal. So we also are called to this laying aside. And the idea of laying aside is casting off, to put aside, to cease doing from what you've been accustomed to do. What are some of the things that you have done that you are doing right now that hinders you from uh, living the life of faith? And this idea of weight is just any burden. It could be anything. It could be good or bad. Anything that hinders you from running the race of faith needs to be um, cast off. And then he says, in the sin which clings so closely, that idea of close clinging is such a tight control. Sin has such a tight control over us that, um, that we need to deal with it on a daily basis. Just some passages in the scriptures that speak of this. Romans 13.12 says, Let us cast off the works of darkness. Ephesians 4.22, Put off your old self. 25, Put away falsehood. Colossians 3.8, Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put away, First Peter, Put away all malice and all deceit. And James, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Think about all the things that make up your life. Now consider which of these things diminishes your ability to run the race of faith. 
Is anything slowing you down? Are you prepared to radically remove it in order to run better and faster? Consider the words of Matthew 18, 8, and 9. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hellfire. It's metaphorically speaking about all these things that are in our lives. We need to radically remove them. So we need to run the race in the face of opposition. In the negative sense, we're called to lay aside. In the positive sense, we're called to run. And I hope I'm not wearing you down with all this kind of Greek stuff, but what it means. But it's just quite amazing that the word run emphasizes the need for haste, for speed, or urgency. We, are, we have this urgency to run the race of faith and to run it with endurance, which means to stand up under the burden of opposition. And it is a race which means to agonize in the face of running. How determined are you to run the race of faith? Are you prepared to patiently endure any and all hardships? That's a good question. How about you? Matthew 10.38 says, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Or Philippians 3.12 and 14, Not that I have already obtained it, but I press on to make it my own. There's this idea of laying aside and running, um, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here is another very important part of our text. Looking to Jesus to empower us to run the race of faith, we need, to, we need Jesus to empower us to run the race of faith. So this text is telling us, and kind of as I began to speak about with regards to faith, that it, it is an empowerment of God, and we are to look to Jesus, who is the one who initiated and is the one who completes our faith. He's the one who does most of the work, if not all of it, um, I think of Philippians 1, six. it says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. It's the same idea. He starts it and he ends it. It's because the gift of the Holy Spirit it comes upon us in order to um, give us that strength. When it comes to laying aside hindrances and sin and to run the race that is set before us, we need to be depending on Jesus to help us succeed. Getting the power to run the race of faith only requires you to look. And just this word, looking to Jesus. I have a quote here by Charles Spurgeon on Isaiah 45.22 on the matter of looking. It's Isaiah 45.22 says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Now, the language here is, uh, it's, this is the way Spurgeon spoke. So, um, and I, I copied it just exactly what he said. It says, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It's speaking of Isaiah 45, 22. It says, Look. Now, looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to, near, to learn to look. 
You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man, man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. A, many are ye looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. And it was this text that he heard preached that made his conversion. Because when you think of it, as a Christian, you can't, you can't run the race of faith without Christ. You need Him. You need to look to Him. And it's all as a matter of it today is to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's just calling. It's not like you have to do anything. You just look and you look to Jesus and you call on His name. And He, and he says, anyone who will call on my name will be saved and I will come to Him and I will, I will save Him. That might be the most important message out of this morning that you'll get this morning is just calling on the name of the Lord and looking to Him and not trusting in yourself for your own salvation. We need to recognize, um, slide number five, whatever that is, to Jesus, the pain of dying on the cross was incomparable to the joy it would bring. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, in, you know, I've looked at this so many times and wondered, what is that all about, despising the shame? And what that is saying is that Jesus didn't consider the shame of the cross as being anything incomparable to the joy that was set before him. The cross, the public humiliation of the cross, he, didn't, he was totally compared to eternal life and the joy that it would bring was incomparable. Even the shame of divine judgment, because when Jesus died on the cross, he was divinely judged by God. Even the wrath of God being poured on him on the cross was little to him. Despising, the idea of despising simply means to look down upon it with disinterest. But it was nothing to him, in a sense and compared to the joy that was set before him. We have, we have a text uh, in Romans 8, which says, Now I consider all the sufferings that are... I consider the sufferings of this world nothing to compare with the glory that is to be revealed. This was Paul. Uh, that comparing to heaven, all the suffering that we have to undergo in the race of faith is... Nothing compared to what is to come. We have the painful challenge to run the race of faith. But compared to being forever condemned and lost in sin, the challenge is a small request. Even Jesus did not consider the public humiliation of crucifixion anything to be compared to the joy His sacrifice would bring. And this is something that we need to consider. And finally, we want to recognize that the race of faith has already been won because Jesus has ensured our victory. The finish has already been determined. For those of you who are in Christ, who have Jesus as Savior, the, the, the race has already been determined. And, and I just want to just take a, a moment just to think about the fact of the whole matter of a race. If you were condemned, if you were condemned and live forever 
under the condemnation of God, there's no opportunity to race. When you think of a race, what is a race, really? A race is kind of a fun thing. A race is, is something to be enjoyed almost, you know? And we have the privilege, who are in Christ, to be able to run the race. We're, we're enjoined by God. Come, run the race with a guarantee that you're going to win. That's, that's pretty good. When, if you're imprisoned and destined for hell and death, there's no opportunity to race. There is no opportunity to run. It's not given to you until you come to faith in Jesus. But for those of you who have come to faith in Jesus, the finish has already been determined. You win. Um, in light of Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, there's a question for you. Are you living your life with a single-minded desire to live entirely for God? The, the whole opportunity has been made wide open for you to run the race. Are you casually walking are you or are you running? Um, this is this idea of going hard after God. Have you fixed your gaze on the prize and are going after it with all your might? And the reading this morning was from Philippians three thirteen to six seventeen. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Looking to Jesus, keeping your gaze clearly upon him and not being distracted is is what we need to take away this morning looking to him but also to believe on the lord jesus christ to be saved to have eternal life in his name is what has to happen first before you can run the race let's pray gracious father i want to give you thanks for um the word of god and I want to give you thanks for the gospel, which is ever true before us. I pray this morning that we will run the race of faith. And that if there's anyone here who's in the place of, who's condemned, in, in a place of prison, imprisoned in sin, that they would be given the opportunity to run the race and this whole matter of running means that we want to do it because we love you, God. And so help us to do that. Help us to love you and help us to take up the challenge to run the race of faith, knowing that the finish has already been determined by you, God. And so, God, be with us this day. Allow this message to impact everyone's heart this day. In Jesus' name.